it'll be one of the big dogs you would think because just historically Southern Hills has done that and it does that because of all the it asks questions that maybe not everybody has all the answers to you know and only really the top sort of 10 or 15 or so guys probably have all those answers and obviously everyone in the field can probably win but generally over 72 holes sort of the cream rises to the top at a place like this put another log on the fire nobody here is getting tired Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck back for another Fire Drill podcast. I am joined by an illustrious duo, Jeff Ogilvie from all the way from Australia, Michael Bamberger. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Yeah, no worries. Um, so, Jeff, we want to talk about uh, Southern Hills as a venue and uh, you know, it's it's a proud course. It's hosted a lot of big time tournaments, but it, it's gone a pretty uh, thorough renovation. What what is your feeling about Southern Hills? And I'm sure you've looked at all the photos and you have a sense for for the work that Gil Hans did. But what do you think of this as a venue? Oh, it's incredible. I mean, in um, 07, my main memories. I'm sure both of you guys were there. Was how hot it was. Um, perhaps the hottest tournament I've ever played. I mean, it was Tiger winning a major in his prime and it was relatively quiet out there really i seem to remember because people were dropping like flies in the crowd i mean it was outrageously hot so i think the weather will be much better this week in may um but all in all i remember loving the course it's one of the best courses in the world it's it it seems to really reward a guy with a complete game you got to move the ball both ways it's the greens are tricky lots of undulation changes side hill lies i mean sort of got some augusta type sort of golf involved you know now a lot more short grass around the greens it looks like with gill um yeah it's a great property incredible course and if you look at the win the, the role of winners who have won there it's um just only quality players in history so um should be a good course should be, I mean, should be a great tournament i imagine alan can i pop in here for one quick second jeff something that's extraordinary to me about you and and some of your touring uh, brethren, but not all of them, you can go to a golf course once and remember it forever. Like, you know, here you are. It's been years since you've been there. I th- it has been years since you've been there? 2007, yeah. Okay. How well can you actually remember this course in your mind's eye? You know what? I was thinking about that this week. I remember most of it. I mean, I probably can't remember sort of like the little details and stuff, but I kind of ran through the holes in my head and, probably can't really remember sort of yardages of holes or really clubs and stuff that I was hitting, but I sort of remember the general sort of shape of holes and where they went and the really difficult stuff. I remember how brutally difficult 18 was, um, how happy you were to make par up 18. Um, just, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it was, uh, if I went back there, I would remember every detail when I was there. It's sort of like you have this database in your head and like when you're away from it and you haven't seen it for a while, you sort of have vague memories. But as soon as I, I drove up the driveway, I would remember more and I'd get on the range and I'd remember more. And as soon as you go down the first, you remember more. So yeah, you're right. We have these sort of filing cabinets in our head that sort of you have all this detail in there. And as soon as it gets presented in front of you, I'd probably start remembering shots I hit in 2007, funnily enough, I would think. So you're right. I think... That sort of happened when you're so 
involved in what you're doing and you're paying so much attention and you're so intense in what you do, it it burns a little bit deeper into your memory. Um, so you guys sort of wander around and you're more watching the the shots and the drama that's happening. We're actually trying to um, sort of play the course really well. So I think we get a bit more invested in actually what's going on on the course. I think that's probably why. Jeff, have you been to uh, Prairie Dunes in the Another great course here in the Midwest. Oh, I haven't. No, I've heard lots of good reports. I mean, um, Michael Cocking, my uh, design partner, one of my design partners, he's um, he's been talking glowingly. He visited there pretty recently, and he um, really, really enjoyed the place. So I think it's um, that's one of the best courses in the Midwest, right? Oh yeah, I mean, I think it might be the best course in the United States. I, I was just there for the first time in the last year, and it's absolutely and monumental golf course and just an incredible test it was too much golf course for me but uh, it, it was just it was like royal dornick kind of greens and these amazing dunes and just just phenomenal and i I'm, where i'm going with this is perry maxwell designed that he, he did southern hills and he, he's a guy who's never really talked about in, in, in the pantheon of, of these these great old um Architects, do you have any 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 sense for for Maxwell and any, any any insight in, into his work? Not really. I mean, obviously, I know Perry Jones is probably his best. I mean, you're probably the first person who's ever said they think Perry Jones is the best course in America. Um, it which absolutely is a big blew my claim, mind. But yeah, I have only ever heard great things. I mean, I think it's an incredible place. It's kind of in a really unlikely place for a great course too. Um, kind of a little bit in the middle of nowhere and you don't really expect it. And all of a sudden you've got this sort of golf utopia link style golf course in the middle of America, which is pretty interesting. Um, no, but he did a lot of great stuff and Southern Hills is probably along with Prairie Jones his two sort of most famous ones. I think, um, Southern Hills has had all the golf tournaments. Um, and I don't, um, I don't know how much Southern Hills has kind of evolved since those times. Um, but it's such an incredible property. It's got that great undulation and the great, it's got such a great piece of property and it's just, it's got a very grand feel about it. Um, and it feels like even when you just, you're in the clubhouse, it's very, it's very important feeling place, you know? Um, and it's, yeah, it's just a natural venue. It just feels like a great venue for a big tournament. You, you alluded to it earlier with the, the work that, that Gil Hans has done on, on Southern Hills and they really are trying to accentuate the, the greens and the surrounds and it doesn't have that long rough framing the greens like a lot of US major championship venues and uh, the ball's gonna run away from the hole if you hit a bad shot and uh, when when you when you bring short game like that back into a major championship setup w- what does that do to the players who are already on edge where it's a big week and it's a challenging venue, but now knowing that you're going to have to hit all these different shots and you're going to have to decide what kind of shot to hit every time you miss a green, um, how much does that, you know, turn up the volume on the test? I think a lot. I mean, obviously the trend for a very long time was to just sort of ring fence the course and really deep longest rough that you could get away with that sort of ultimately punish every bad shot and reward anything on short grass and punish anything away from that um we've seen it drifting gradually sort of in the last 10 15 20 years um sort of pinehurst may be one of the first ones to dip their toe into changing that sort of style um having more short grass and we've seen more and more and more of it it's just it's a it's a more complete test i mean funnily enough i mean outside of tour circles most people probably don't really understand this but 
there's a lot of pros who don't love chipping off short grass. Um, it's sort of the ultimate test of a short game. You'll, you go from generally a long, rough golf course that we've played traditionally in majors and maybe just a, a normal sort of PGA Tour setup as long rough as you get the 60 degree out or you get your, the most lofted wedge out. You can, you can almost pull it out on the fairway when you've missed a green and walk up because you know that's the club you're going to hit. You've got short grass. One, like you say, the ball can run and never stop, which is sort of part of the charm of um, – or adds to the challenge sort of coming into the greens is that you really have to think where you're landing this. Do I really want to land this back near the pin? Because if it goes over the back, it could, who knows when it's going to end. And two, the short game, you can play any club from – realistically any club from three wood to putter off short grass. I mean, maybe even driver, I mean, because you can play 14 clubs um, around the greens and that leaves choice. And I th sometimes think pros don't really enjoy choice. I think they like being told just hit the 60 and get good at this shot. I mean, all of a sudden they can hit a five iron, they could bump it with a hybrid, they could putt it, they could get the 60 out, they could sort of get the pitching wedge out, they can do all sorts of any all manner of stuff. And we see it at the Masters every year, sort of the sort of confusion and indecision around the greens when they're chipping and I think whenever you see that I think it's compelling to watch um, I always enjoyed it the most I mean Melbourne golf is generally a short grass sort of place around the greens you're either in a bunker or short grass and so we grew up chipping short grass and I'm the other way around I took a really long time to get used to chipping out of the long rough um, and hated it at first and gradually got used to it and then after a while realized that, that long rough is actually easier generally to chip out of than short grass because it's the same sort of shot every single time. Whereas the short grass, yeah, one, the green isn't ring fenced. And so you can't be quite as aggressive into the green because of where it can go when it misses. And two, you're sort of left with these tight little eyes that you don't really want to pull too much loft out of, but you're really not used to. And we just don't practice bump and runs like they probably did in days, years gone by. So um, I really, I think it, yeah, it's just a much more compelling sort of style of golf to watch the best players in the world play, especially around great greens like Southern Hills. I mean, there's slopes and pitch, and um, I'm sure they'll be very fast and there'll be a bounce on them. So uh, usually a sign, uh, usually a setup that'll bring the, the the imagination and the great short games out. And and you have to be much it, it, it the strategy. It's a knock-on effect back up the strategy because you've got to be coming in from the right spot so you don't miss it in the wrong spot. And then you've got to hit your tee shot in the right, into the right spot so you can hit it into the right spot on the green. So it's sort of the short grass around the greens and the firmness and the ability for the course to sort of repel the ball away, sort of reverberates all the way back to the tee, which is why that Southern Hills, like a week like this, or the Masters can get away with such wide fairways because there's really only sections of those fairways you want to be on if you want to successfully sort of navigate around. Jeff, you know how a lot of, a lot of touring pros will say, oh, well, I treat the majors just like any other week. We don't. Alan and I don't. I don't think. I don't think you do. Why do we focus so much on a golf on a golf course when we get to a major? What it is about major venues that eliminate a lot of the field because it takes a certain type of golfing intelligence just to figure out the golf course quickly enough to be able to produce two eighty or lower by the end of the week. Um, a few things there. One, I whether they tell you that or not, I'm pretty confident most players don't treat majors like it's any other week um mm. they might say that um to sort of try to take some pressure off themselves um but they certainly don't and i think that's actually not the correct approach i always enjoyed ramping it up and leveling it up and like this is actually why i play golf let's go you know wow, i think that's, that's if 
if you're not ready for that, you're not ready to win one. You know, I think you sort of need the big show. And I think the guys that win these, the guys like Ram and Tiger and um, Colin and these guys, they know their bigger weeks, you know, and it's it's more important to them. Um, two, I think the golf course gets talked about so much. One, because we generally go to really historic great venues that don't you don't generally see Southern Hills in um, – or Southern Hills level golf tournaments on the PGA Tour. You know, we have Riviera every year, which is great. And you have Pebble, but Pebble's completely different in February than the US Open. Um, I think they're more interesting venues in general because the the PGA and the USGA and the RNA, they pick, they pick venues that do that, sort of have that historic sort of thing. Um, but mostly I think we talk so much about them because there's so much airtime created around majors and we've just got more to talk about so we just run out of time talking about players and we're going to talk about something else yeah I was, I was i mean so true i was telling That's my great. kids that i was coming to, to oklahoma uh and they're like why on earth are you going to oklahoma I said because there's one really really great golf course there there's no other reason and uh but you're right i mean it becomes uh it's an event you know the, the majors don't get to the midwest very often and and they don't get to, the, the, you know, Oklahoma except for, for Southern Hills. And so not only is the golf course big time, but the atmosphere. You know, I went out there yesterday, kind of late afternoon, early evening, and Scotty Scheffler w- was putting on a practice green by himself. And it was encircled by 200 people, it felt like. And, uh, you know, that's Monday, that's Monday evening. Like, you just don't, you don't get that kind of uh, action on Monday at a, at a tour event. That, but... You know, there's a feeling of if you're from this part of the world, this might be your only chance to, to see these guys for a very long time. And you don't, so. you generally don't get the number one in the world practicing on Monday either at a normal tour event. I mean, he'll generally show up on Wednesday for the Pro-Am, right? And then guys fly in on Sunday and play nine holes. They're there all week. Everybody rents houses as opposed to the normal hotel for a week. I mean, it's it's just leveled up. Everything's leveled up. And that's why, I mean, there's no way that these guys, anybody in the field is really treating this like a normal PJ Tour event. They might be trying to, but... Um, there's family out here. There's management out here. They're all they're, they're all doing the special thing. Um, it's it's just a, it's a big it, they're big weeks, and that's again when the best players in the world are trying their best and they've been preparing for something. It usually creates something really interesting to watch. Alan, just a quick note about your kids and why you're going to Oklahoma. I love this about going to majors, uh, especially if you, if you go to Ro- Rochester. And, and go to the, the Oak Hill course or the Oakland Hills course or, or Prairie Dunes or Southern Hills. It's like a hundred years ago, there was a concentrated level of wealth in a quote, second rate town, not true at all, but that's how they might view themselves at the moment. And it's like, we're gonna show the world that we can do something every bit as well as, as, as any other city, New York or Los Angeles or Chicago. And like, like a church building cathedral, it's like, we're going to hire the best architect, find the best piece of land, and build a golf course that is a monument to this game. And every city that had significant wealth in the 20s has a Southern Hills. And uh, it, may not be, it may not be long enough uh, uh, to host the U.S. Open or, or big enough in space, but it has one. And there are immense points of pride, and especially when it's a country club, even though we are all drawn to golf clubs, golf clubs. But the country club is like, we're wealthy. And... Uh, and we're showing it off. And here's our pool, and here's our tennis courts, and here's our clubhouse, and here's our golf course. And it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's a great point. And and you can feel that on the grounds when when you when you arrive at these venues. There there is a a, a feeling of pride. And and then for a lot of locals, they can't get to Southern Hills any other week of the year. So then uh, even even 
even if you're a Tulsa resident, you don't have an attachment to the, the, the club. But like you say, you get to go experience it and you might bump into someone, you know, and there's, there's that whole energy in, in the air. And it's just, it's just so different than, than a normal week. But that, I mean, that's a great point, Michael, the, the neighborhood around Southern Hills is extremely stately. I mean, beautiful houses. It really, it, it's got, it has a timeless kind of look, but not big McMansions that were, that were just built. I mean, these, these places are, have been there for a long time. And so, uh, there, there, there's a timelessness about, about, about this venue that's really appealing. Okay, we just got that awkward Zoom pause where everyone's waiting for somebody else to say something. It's, it's, given the Jeffs on the other side of the world, I guess it's forgivable. Um, so, uh, I, I was looking at, at your 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 playing record in the majors, Jeff. You, you didn't you didn't play 2001, the U.S. Open, but the, um, at Southern Hills, but that was a, a, such a nutty tournament. And you, you talk about the pitch of of the greens and. In fact, the 18th was so severe that the USGA just gave up and said, "You know, what? we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna mow this a little higher, and it's gonna be slower than the other 17 greens," which is not great in general, but it's really problematic when it's the 72nd hole. And if, if you remember, Mark Brooks, Retief Goose, and Stuart Sink, all kinds of craziness happened there on that last green. Um, and I think they took nine putts between them, and it was just a, a monumental cock-up, the whole thing. Uh, and it's not really talked about that often when, when you go through the, the great USGA blunders of, of the 21st century, but that was a big one. And uh, Michael, were, were, you, were you at Southern Hills that week? I was. That was <laughs> yeah. wacky. I mean, I, re- I was in the locker room with Mark Brooks. He was packing up and, and, and getting ready to go, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, everything everything flipped there in the last half hour, and, and he, he had new life. But um, you know, Retief Goosen, that that was actually one of the great reporting challenges of my career because everyone knew he'd been struck by lightning, but no one really knew the details. And so, every night I was staying up super late trying to reach people in South Africa because I got Goosen after I think the first round, and he gave me the name of the guy he was playing with that day, but he didn't have any other contact info. But uh, so I was calling golf clubs and I finally tracked down the dude who was out on the course with Goosen when he was struck by lightning. And I'm still like, you know, I'm still haunted by the details. He said all the clubs in his bag, in Goosen's bag, were melded together by the heat and that his clothes had been burned off and the, the, the smell of like singed hair and flesh and that Goosen had actually swallowed his tongue and was probably going to die. But just pure happenstance there was an actual like doctor in the next fairway who ran over and and kind of recognized what's going on and like with his finger like pried out his tongue and did cpr and um and goosen and goosen survived and i'll never forget like at three in the morning like this guy telling me all these details and um so that it was a memorable week, you know, in so many different ways. But what what are your takeaways? Did, you t- did you include the tongue reference in your game story? I'm sure I did. Why, <laughs> why would I not? But yeah, I haven't actually gone back and read it in a long time. But uh, that was that was one of those, you know, and that was kind of, I guess it was the early days of the Internet. But uh, there was I was just making phone calls to every like, golf club in, in that part of, of South Africa. And I finally tracked this guy down. And it was so satisfying. And, uh, you know, I don't think Retief Goosen is really, he's in the Hall of Fame, but I'm not sure he's ever quite gotten his due, but that, that was, true. you know, to, to three-putt the last hole to potentially boot away the, the, the U.S. Open on Sunday afternoon and then have the fortitude to come back and win in a, in a playoff and um, 
pretty incredible. What are your memories from that week, Michael? Uh, I remember the intensity and, uh, and I remember being overwhelmed by the golf course and how different the golf course was. I think I've been there twice before for tour championships. I know once, and I think, do you think they had two tour championships there? Um, it yeah, it sounds there. right. I, I, I've been there before, but to Jeff's point earlier, it's amazing to what degree a championship committee can jigger a golf course to get it just right for a major championship. Uh, and it was very, very, very different. And as Jeff made, well, Jeff was making the point earlier, Pebble Beach in February and Pebble Beach in June, it's almost like two different courses. And uh, so, so it was all very, very interesting. Um, and Ratifa is great. Uh, Ratifa is a real Hall of Famer, and I agree with you. He, uh, he, d- he doesn't get his due. And with, with, with all that in mind, I was going to ask Jeff this question. When you look at this week, do you just think we always hear the phrase he's a U.S. Open player like like you were, like Curtis Strange was, like Andy North was, like Tiger, of course, was Big Jack Hogan. Do you view this week as, oh, a U.S. Open winner, a U.S. Open type player is going to win this week? Or is it a, a different kettle of fish to some degree? Uh, I think a really good player will win. Um, it's a course that just requires all the shots. I mean, I think it's not quite traditional U.S. Open this week, clearly. I mean, I think in 01, it must have been 20 yards wide and, well, pretty narrow and fast. And I don't think, I mean, you, you hit the USGA a little bit there, which they need to hit every now and then on the 18th green there. But I don't think they had a choice, right? I mean, the the, the mistake probably was made to not fix the pitch of the green two years before the tournament. I mean, if it's eight degrees or 8% or whatever this green is, and you, you just can't have greens at 13, you know, you just can't. It's just not going to work. So... Maybe they should have had all the greens a bit slower that week to match them all up with what they had to have 18 or to fix the green or to chill the green out, if you like, a couple of years before. But um, he created a drama and a memorable US Open. So I don't know, <laughs> mess up or genius, you know, one or the other. Um, yeah. The And my other memory from the 18th green was just a Tiger horseshoeing out his putt for 62 and 07. That was pretty amazing. Um, oh, wow. But anyway, I think, look, I think a great player wins. I think any time you have undulation, you have side slopes, you're hitting up side slopes, and you have requirement to hit shape both ways, and you have the short game test you have there, it's going to be one of those sort of complete major winner sort of games. You know, it's going to be Ram or Makar Morikawa or Speed. It's probably a great course for Jordan at the moment. I would have thought it's fantastic around the greens. Um Tiger, clearly, it would be magic for Tiger in his prime. Hopefully, you can sort of bring some of that sort of action. Um, but, yeah, it'll be one of those – it'll be one of the big dogs, you would think, because just historically, Southern Hills has done that, and it does that because it all the – it asks questions that maybe not everybody has all the answers to, you know, and only really the top sort of 10 or 15 or so guys probably have all those answers. And um, – Obviously, everyone in the field can probably win, but generally over 72 holes, the sort of the cream rises to the top at a place like this. Yeah, that the Tiger in 07, that was really uh, one of his peaks. You know, he, Absolutely. of course, we, we know what he did at the turn of the century, but, you know, Hank Haney, Steve Williams, they've often contended, and, and Hank's has, he's he's not unbiased observer, but Steve Williams is, and he's, he's often said that, you know, Tiger 06, 07, 08, that, that was actually the best golf he ever played. And I, one thing we haven't talked about is that first tee shot is, is so majestic. You know, it's really like the highest point on the golf course and everything just, just falls away from you. I remember being out there on Sunday and um, Tiger 
just hit a bullet down that first ferry, but he held the pose a little extra long and it was almost like he was bronzed, you know, like he was creating his own statue in the, in real time. And, uh, there, there's certain shots that he's hit throughout his career. I was, I was standing right there and that one just, just sticks out. And it was, it was a phenomenal performance from, from start to finish. Um, you, you said Tiger in his prime, obviously he, he had, uh, he was a little more supple. He had a little more speed, but having observed him ar- around, around Augusta this year, Jeff, do you think Tiger still has the short game and still has the hands that, that he did back then? I mean, have, have you seen a, a difference in, in just the, the finesse shots? I don't know if we saw enough at the Masters to know that, but I think he looked pretty good. Um, he hit some incredible short shots, the Masters. I think the short stuff, he's probably been able to practice it for a lot longer. Like he, he's, he would have got back to that sooner. Um, but you're right, 01, that sort of turn of the century Tiger was just sort of perfection, if you like. Um, that 07 was a beautiful guy. He was playing a more attractive version of golf. You know, he was shaping the ball a long way and like really sort of crafting his way around the course in a different way. And it was a beautiful game to watch in 07. You're right. Um, I, I'm sure he has the short game shots. I mean, um, in some respects, major championships and the really big moments are a bit like riding a bike. For, some, for someone like Tiger, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll all come back, even if he's not maybe. It's quite a sharp and chipping around the green. Back at home, he gets to Southern Hills. He'll be inspired um, and the pressure. And we saw it in, in 19. Obviously, it's a different Tiger now. But in 19, um, he gets to that back nine at the Masters and he just looked like the guy who knew how to win a major, you know, out of everyone else in the thing. And I think that'll all come, that all comes back. And if he can sort of um, – it's quite the walk around Southern Hills. Um it's not just it's not a it's not a flat course um so and he says he's feeling a lot better and he's a lot fitter and he's a bit stronger so um if his body hangs up he absolutely i he looks like he's got all the shots that he needs you know but i mean mental mental sort of prowess or strength was always is has always been his sort of best attribute if you like or his sort of where he beats everybody else. I mean, everybody, lots of guys hit good shots, um, but he seems to do it at the right times and, and, and at the right moments. And um, that can often go with how you feel. You know, we saw at the Masters when he started getting tired, it got a little harder for him. When you get tired, your mental game isn't as strong. And he was always the fittest guy on tour generally when he was at his best. So um, I think the physical parts will be there with the shots. You know, it's it's, again... Has he had enough time to walk enough golf course, walk enough golf holes, um, and just sort of be fully fit and healthy? But the end, like coming through eighteen holes every day, and can he get ready for next tomorrow? And can he get ready for the next day? It seemed like at the Masters, you certainly had the golf game, but it got harder and harder during the week as he got tighter. I think so. Hopefully, he's he's got another what six weeks under his belt of fitness and training and recovery and rehab and. Um, no reason why he can't hit all the shots he used to. Alan, that was such, that's that was amazing, Jeff. Analysis of Tiger. I've always had this feeling about Tiger in 07, and Jeff particularly. If you could just tell me if, if this might be true or not, they always say you know the, the tour player plays one shot at a time, hit the ball, chase it, uh, play it again. Tiger 07, Southern Hills. I thought it was one of the greatest performances I've ever seen by a golfer, and I felt like. He saw the whole golf course as a chessboard, and he knew ahead of time exactly how the whole thing would play out, and that if he did his thing, 
Even though he was a great scoreboard watcher, if he did his thing, it really didn't matter what anybody else did because he was better than everybody else. And if he did his thing over the whole of the 72 holes and the whole, you know, 200 acre property, whatever it is, he'll win. Uh, and it almost simple, it, like the game almost looks simple because of that. But that's in my head. I don't know if it, if a great player could would actually ever think that way. But do you have any thoughts about that? Amoa, he certainly, uh, the he knew what he was doing and he played. Um, that's what a course like Southern Hills does. I mean, it allows the best player to show why he's the best. And I think it when he gets to ven- he historically whenever he got to venues or has got to venues like southern hills it's he seems more inspired to sort of show off um the most recent version was i think um royal melbourne last in the 2019 president's cup i mean he just put on a clinic of how to play a golf course like that and made he was the best of the 24 players by a long way um because it just he's just inspired to kind of show off and go, guys, no, 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 no. This is actually how you play golf on a golf course like this. Just watch this for a minute, you know. And Southern Hills will do that. And like in 07, clearly it, it had that. It was hot. It was a battle of attrition in a lot of ways um, on a golf course that demanded all the shots. And it was just, it, that was the sort of thing that just lit all of his lights up. And it's like, here we go. This is me. This. And at the end of the day, a professional golfer um, is a show off fundamentally we want to show everybody that we're better than i'm better than you and come watch because i'm better than all these guys and tiger's been the biggest show off of the lot um (laughs) and that's the platform you know that's he's got the platform at a place like that to do that yeah so i think your analysis is 100 percent right i don't know whether he knows he's going to win if he plays the i don't know that's the only part i would i'm not sure i've never been inside his head um but I think he would have gone there certainly in 07, knowing he was playing well, thinking this is a great opportunity to win another major because this course, I just love playing it. That's neat. That, yeah, I love that. That reminds me of something that I heard Patrick Harrington say, you know, going back to Carnoustie uh, when he beat Sergio Garcia. And um, he had he was short over the 18th green. He, he was kind of making a mess of the hole too. And he had like maybe a 40 or 50 yard pitch. Uh, that he left himself with. And of course there's that, that incredible grandstand you always have on the last hole at the open. And he was running through his options of what kind of shot to hit. And he wound up, you know, hitting the low skipper that looks like it's going to go way past the, the flag. And then maybe on the third bounce, it just stops dead. And he said he wanted to play that shot because he knew the crowd was going to be like, Oh no, he's hit it too hard. And then, Oh, hit the brakes. And, and you know, you, that was the uh, that was the, the reaction from the crowd, and I always thought, you know, even with the open in the balance, is exactly what you're saying, Jeff. Like he chose a shot that was going to be a little dramatic and kind of fun to play, and it would get people going. And I'm sure that on some level that that helped him focus on on the task at hand even more because it's like, well, if I screw this up, it's really going to scold over the green or whatever. So it was. Uh, uh, it, you don't think about the, that showmanship aspect, but it's definitely a part it's of a- being a performer. It's a great insight. Jeff, when you talk about that show-off aspect, um, of course, it's the other players and their caddies because they're super knowledgeable about golf. But is it also the spectators and the TV audience? Or do you think that doesn't fa- – does that factor in or, or, or not, do you think? I don't think it's really, like, particularly aimed at anybody. I mm. mean, I just think it's it's almost showing off to yourself as well a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's um, – certainly the other players. If I say from me um, – if I impress the crowd, that's cool. It's nice and it's fun and all that. But if you impress some other players, 
um, that's really good. Some of the caddies are fun to impress. I mean, I remember Squirrel was my caddy for a long time and a guy I really respected um, his opinion on golf. And every now and then I would hit a shot that was really, really good. And he, you would just get this groan. It's like, oh, <laughs> like he was just, like, he was just like, oh, wow. And that was my happiest moment. Like if I ever got the little groan out of him, that oh, like as soon as I hit the ball, he's oh, that's the one. Like it was just like, yeah. I did my job. That actually made me happier than almost anything. So I think it's general, but I think there's certain players. I mean, if you go out and play, if you played with Tiger for say, and you hit a shot and you got a little nod and a little wink, it's like, that was a pretty nice moment. You know what I mean? It's like to try to impress the guys who are, that, that impress you, you know, that's, I think it's kind of fun. Yeah. Have great. you ever, have you ever seen that clip of Lee Trevino playing with Seve? It was one of the years that Seve won the open and he's, He's on this downslope in the fairway, and he just scorches this long iron that never leaves the flag. And Trevino's like, pure class, baby. And uh, that's exactly what you're talking about. I mean, how good did that feel? Not only to, to pull off the shot, but then have Lee Trevino, of all people, be in your ear about it. Like, I love that clip for so many reasons. That's like one of the best clips on the internet, because it's on five at the old course, I'm pretty sure. Touch of class, baby. Yeah. And he says it as soon as he hits the ball, and it's the five, and it lands in the little dip, and it runs up on the green. It's not only good because of how good Seve's shot is. It's so good because of Trevino's knowledge as soon as he makes contact that he knows that that's as good as – and almost no one's got that shot. Like, the ball's not even halfway there, and Trevino knows it's perfect. I mean, it's perfect on every level, that clip. It's brilliant, yeah. Yeah, I, I love that you know that, Jeff. That's so great. That is really great. Uh, with that in mind, like, when you hit a perfect shot – but it does some weird thing. You know, it just doesn't bounce the way it's supposed to. Even though you've done everything you can do, how do you prevent yourself from saying MF really loud or something? Because you've got to be so mad at that point because you've done everything right and you haven't gotten the result. Yeah, I mean, look, it's frustrating, but if you've actually hit a perfect one and it gets unlucky, it's not a complete... I'd rather do that than just hit an awful shot. You know, at least I hit a perfect shot. At least I had the feeling of hitting a good shot. I mean, half of it is just golf so much i think sometimes it's just you're just chasing that great feeling of the great shot and if you have the great feeling of the great shot and if you don't get the result that's pretty infuriating but at least you hit the great shot and you had the great feeling for a second while the ball was in the air you know um or you hit that incredible putt that you nose in all the way and it just there's some crazy lip out or burns the edge or um spins off the front of the green or it's pretty frustrating um but it's part of it. I mean, I guess it's part of golf. It's what it's why the ones that do come off are so rewarding because they very rarely do, you know. I, I was playing the other night. It happened to be an old U.S. Open course. I was playing by myself, and I had a good drive and I had a good second shot, and it was a skip-up shot there. And I'm like, oh, that's perfect. And it skips up, and it skips up the hill, and then it skips right past the flag into the rough over the green. And I almost lost it. And I'm playing by myself <laughs> for nothing. <laughs> It's, just- it's funny though, to be honest, when you're really on and you're really playing well, I don't think I ever had a shot where I'd made contact. I knew it was right that it wasn't right. Like you just uh-huh. know it's right. You can uh-huh. ju- you just know it's. I mean, maybe it hits the pit. I mean, there's those red, you see those ones at Tory that fly in the hole in the last hole in the 18 and it hits the pit and it goes in the water or something. I mean, that, that's different. I've never had one of those. But generally, there's this feeling that doesn't come very often, especially when you're on. As soon as I would make contact, I knew it was good, and it was. Like it just—it almost never isn't because you're just so in touch at that time when you're playing like that. Um, it's like Tiger's little club spin. You know, you can tell when you watch a great player when he's playing well. As soon as he makes contact, 
you know watching the TV that he's hit it close. You, you just know. You can just see the look in his eye and his, his gait and his demeanour and just the way he holds his follow-through or whatever it is. Um, we generally know, not, not, not when we're playing average, but when you're playing well, you know. You know, it's, if it's, if you, if generally if you feel like it's good, it, it usually ends up pretty good. Alan, can I interrupt? The, can I just interrupt really quickly, really quickly? Hearing Jeff talk about golf is an absolute total illustration of why we love golf so much. I have never heard a touring pro talk about Tiger's twirl and what it means to Tiger internally and what then we can get out of it. It just shows you that golf, and we love a lot of different sports among the three of us, but there is actually nothing like golf. Uh, that was just so beautiful. I loved hearing that. <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree. But as I was gonna say about you know the the early the early cl- club twirl, and as you say, Jeff, you can usually tell when a player thinks he's stiffed it. But it's an outdoor game, and you can get a gust of air, or or the you know there's there's so many ambient things that that maybe could could affect the outcome, and yet they're always right about it. Like that that's what amazes me. You see in the NBA, you know, like there's some you know Nick Young thinks he swished a three pointer, he turns around to the crowd and it rims out, and but. Uh, you know that's a controlled environment. Uh, it, it does amaze me the um, the accuracy of of the cocky club twirl because rarely does a guy do that, and then you know it, it doesn't work out. It, but there's there's so many factors. You know, you give me a, a firmer green, you could get a bad bounce. You could give me you one. You can tell. I promise you, you can tell. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the difference between Jeff and, and us, Michael. He he knows, exactly. and we're we're just yeah. hoping. Well, the, the difference the... is about fifty thousand more balls in my shot golf shots in my life than you guys probably. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Yes. <laughs> uh, Jeff, well, have you noticed the elegant uh, pronunciation that uh, that Alan gives the word ambient? He he has it as ambient, and Gil Hans he has his haunts. Uh, haunts and ambient. Uh, People from Adelaide and Australia speak like that. Oh, how do you, how do you say Gil's surname? Hans. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> yeah, Gil Hans. There's a little bit of an Australian edge to mine, but yeah, Gil Hans and ambient. <laughs> My bad. Uh, no, 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 no. We like it. We like the variety. Too. Sounds much more elegant. Uh, yeah. Well, most people think I sound like I'm stoned because I'm from California. So I'll take that. Um, <laughs> you, you mean you're not? <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm not at liberty to say, Michael, but it is 7:42 a.m. here in Tulsa. Um, so this is a um, a quasi, you know, preview of of this PGA Championship. Should should we hazard any guesses about who's going to win or is that just totally boring and, and we want to transcend the con- the conventions of this medium? What do you what do you guys think? It's up to you guys. I mean, I sort of gave you my spiel. I think it'll be one of the big dogs at the moment. I mean, I'll I think Jordan's a good chance. I think it'll engage him. It's in the it's in his in neck of the woods, you know, um, at least area region of the country. Short grass around the greens will help him. Um, DJ's got to play well soon, surely. You know, right. one of these things. He can't. You can't keep not like being up there in a major as good as he is. John Rahm, fantastic. He'll love the short game. Yeah. But, uh, um, um, that's my uh, sort of. There you go. They're my three picks. I want to ask about Scotty Scheffler since we we, we touched on him earlier. Like, he played so many beautiful short game shots at, at Augusta National, and um, he loves to move the ball. It just it seems like a perfect venue for him. Yet again, like, can you outsmart yourself? Like, the guy's playing phenomenal golf. He's 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 in a habit of winning. He's he's met every challenge. Like, he's such an obvious choice. But how long, how can you keep going back to the same guy, or just is the law of average is eventually going to catch up and he's going to have a, a little down period? Like, I guess how how long can good form last, Jeff? I guess that's my question. 
the, look, and the only reason you're 100% right on paper, Scotty Scheffler looks like the favourite um, number one in the world. It's again, in, it's a space neck of the woods. It's in Scheffler's neck of the woods too, right? He's going to play really well in the wind. If it gets windy, he's going to play well in that sort of area of the country, you would think. Uh, the only reason I wouldn't pick him is because at some point you can't keep winning, right? <laughs> the law of averages, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he looks great. He's obviously confident. Um, and so he's, he's so much better every time you see him play than almost the previous time you saw him play. You know, he seems to be improving in front of your eyes. Or maybe it's just that we just give him more respect every time you see him play. Um, maybe he's always looked that great and we didn't have eyes for it, you know. Um, but yeah, fantastic. You know, like when, but when form, Jeff's yeah, earlier, I don't know. Sorry, with the form thing, I the form. I don't know. I don't know. I never had form like Scotty Scheffler, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw when, you when, furiously scribbling, Michael. Were you writing down a name for this? Well, I was just thinking about. No, no, I was just thinking about when unlikely guys win majors, and I just quickly noted that now they happen to all be Open winners: Sean Vandeveld and Todd Hamilton and Ben Curtis. Um, no one was talking about them going into the week, except for maybe their families. But they were great for that week. They were as great as anybody. Well, they were greater than anybody for that week. And now they might have gotten a look at the draw for some degrees. Oh, I said Jean Vandeveld famously did not win his Open. But he did play great. And at the end of the, really, at the end of 72 holes, if you've, you know, you are the co-medalist, I mean, there's a greatness to that as well. But I guess the point is that when you've got a field as deep as this field, with all due respect to the you know, to the obvious names. I think the I think the reason I don't really participate in this sort of thing is the joy of the thing is to see really who is going to do it. And I don't really find that much joy in trying to make a wild guess as to who it, who it is. I'd say when you got 100 players in the field, all of whom are capable of shooting whatever the number is, let's call it 270, maybe, who knows? Uh, it's just part of the greatness of a real major championship that any of those 100 uh, 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 could do it. Yeah, I love that. And can we talk about Jean Vandeveld's putt for triple bogey that he he made to to get into the playoff? I think it was like little curling, like six or eight footer. It's got to be one of the greatest putts in golf history. He's just lit himself on fire in front of the world, and he has his do or die putt, and somehow he made it. I always marvel at that. Like after all it's the just, slapstick. <laughs> just to your point, it's bizarre that I wrote Jean Vandeveld as a guy who won an Open. Because, like, sort of in my mind, he won an Open. Um, now, maybe it's my great friendship, you know, with Mike Donald that's, you know, that shapes that to some degree. But I do feel like if, if, if you're the medalist or one of the medalists, that's the 72 holes, after that, it's sort of a crapshoot. Now, it wasn't a crapshoot back in the day when the USJ had a 36-hole playoff. Because then after 36 holes, yeah, the better guy's going to win. But, you know. Well, they used to be 18 holes, but anyway, I, I digress wildly here. Can I just get to one point about, you know, uh, uh, Jeff said earlier, you know, I've never spent a second inside Tiger Woods' head. Something about Scheffler, we can only guess at this, but at some point after you've achieved what you've achieved, like Scheffler has and what, and, and what Jeff did at Wingfoot, external forces are going to get in your head and expectations will go up and all those cliches. And then the question really becomes who you are inside. Can you keep them at bay so that you can really, truly stay true to the thing that's so, that's so important to you? And from what I've seen of Shepherd, we don't really know, but what, what we do, you know, quote, judge these people when we see him in press conferences and the rest, he seems like a guy who actually can keep it at bay um, and keep it going for a while. That doesn't mean he's going to win, but I, does think it, I do think it's going to mean he's not going to screw up through 72 holes and then he'll contend. 
Yeah, can you speak to that, Jeff, about after you win a major, and he's a little bit younger than you were, but comparable, really. Like, how does it turn your world upside down from just the the demands, the endorsements, everything that goes into it, and then and that that feeling when you show up, like, yeah, I've, it should make it, it should be less pressure. I've done it. I know I can do it, but also you feel like now I have to live up to this new standard. So it kind of cuts both ways. I mean, how how did winning the Open kind of turn your 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 world upside down? Yeah, it does do, but it does go both ways. I mean, I think uh, I think you can handle the attention and the the extras pretty quickly. I mean, the management teams around us at those points, I mean, are pretty sound. I mean, the tours and the tournaments do a great job at sort of, I mean, you know how much harder it is to start for you two guys to, have, to get towards number one in the world than it was when they were number 10 in the world. You know, they get um, fairly well protected and you get you sort of get looked after. And I think uh, you kind of, Scotty, sort of, you, you've seen other players go through it, so you sort of got a small idea of what's going to happen. I mean, it's sort of overwhelming and how big it was. And I, I took three or four weeks off, and I, then my next tournament was Hoylake um, in 06. And when I got there, it was I expected big press attention and blah, blah, blah. And that was actually quite – it wasn't so bad because the, the Open's the Open, and the, the Tiger was all the one they were talking about. So I had a bigger press conference than I normally would at the Open. But then it was kind of back to being the Open, you know, because it's, it's a bigger tournament than the guy who won the last major, you know. Um, I think I found it harder at normal little tournaments, just normal tournaments. I found it harder, you know, when you were maybe the only recent major champion in the field and you get all the attention. And um, the one, the thing that really struck me the most was just the, the the copious amount of autographs that you start 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 signing in the 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 eBayers who start putting all the magazines under the ropes and stuff for you to sign and stuff. That for me, I found Tuesdays and Wednesdays a lot harder than before. I used to be able to do a Tuesday and Wednesday sort of under the radar and have a really peaceful sort of practice round on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. And that didn't happen anymore. And I found that sort of difficult for me. Um, and as far as the playing, I think, um, I think it goes, it does, it cuts both ways. I think your, your self expectation goes up and that always makes it challenging. You know, um, it's a good thing, expectation, but like the belief that, you know, you can do it. Um, and you're one of the only probably, 10 or 15 guys maybe in the field at that point of one a major like it's not it's a nice feeling and you know if you get sort of coming down the stretch or you get in the mix on saturday and sunday that you're going to be in a better shape than the guys who haven't won a major you know um but it goes the other way because you do if you don't have a very good first round or you mate you're sort of struggling you start beating yourself up saying i'm better than this i'm supposed to be winning this they're going to ask me why i'm not playing very well today and all that sort of stuff so i think there's positives and negatives i think there's way more positives than negatives um Scotty seems like a pretty um, grounded sort of guy. He's, he seems like the sort of guy who's going to handle it. Um, so I, I think he'll be fine. I think there's a lot of guys that desire can change a little bit. You know, this, we've seen a lot of times that um, it probably doesn't seem like it's going to happen with Scotty, but a guy will win a major and that'll be almost the last tournament he ever wins. He's, he's had an unbelievable 10 or 15 year run wins a major and then it's kind of done because like I mean Duval was sort of the one you would look at it was like the best player in the world for four or five years and then bang wins one it was like oh what do I do now you know and then there's other guys who win one like say Jordan or something and they look like they try harder the next time and then the next one they try harder again and they try harder again and they look like they're more and more into it so time will tell with Scotty but I think it's it's probably different for every guy 
Um, it's certainly he's in a whole new stratosphere. I mean, you win the Masters, that's kind of the highest profile major possible. It's the first one of the year. It gets the most attention and gets the number one in the world at the same sort of time. I mean, he's got a fair bit going on in his sort of head, probably playing golf, probably a little bit less peaceful in his head than it was before. Um, time will tell. I think everybody handles it differently. I think some guys like thrive in that sort of environment and situation. I think some guys sort of don't really love it and there's sort of everything in between. Um, so I don't think there's any set rules really. Yeah, I love that. Well, this is, uh, as always, been been a fun conversation. Uh, we're going to do this again definitely uh, Sunday night after we have a winner and We'll see how all, all these these themes have played out, um, Michael. And any final thoughts before we we send the readers home? Well, oh, listeners, I, listeners, excuse me. Uh, no, just the joy of hearing Jeff Ogilvy talk about golf is a, uh, a new pleasure in my life. So thank you for this, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, all right. We, before we go, we'll, we'll, we'll tip our cap to our, our corporate uh, supporters at, at PowerPoints who help keep the lights on here at the Fire Pit Collective so we can do fun things like like this podcast. We've talked about PowerPoints before, but it's a very ingenious little scoring app that I would encourage all of you guys to check out. Um, this is Alan Shipnuck for Michael Bamberger, Jeff Ogilvy. This is another Fire Drill podcast, and we'll be coming to you all week from, from Tulsa and Melbourne and, and points in between. So thanks for listening. Put another log on the fire Nobody here is getting tired 